You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Hello, bunch of brain buffs embracing beefy, brilliant bits. Welcome to Good Job Brain, your weekly quiz show and offbeat trivia podcast. This is episode 257, and of course, I'm your humble host, Karen, and we are your meteoric, meat-cuting, meatballs, <laughs> meat-packing meters of meatloaf. I'm Colin. And I'm Chris. So I have a uh, another installment of our Let's Correct Ourselves segment, which we know, which is known as Um Actually. Um Actually. Um Actually. What you said just wasn't true. Um Actually. Do you mind if I correct you? Because actually, factually, and quite enthusiastically, I was right and you were wrong. That's exactly what inspired me to write this um actually song. You were wrong. I'm um actuallying myself because self report takes a real man. I was listening uh, to our flat episode, and I had been reading about the malleability uh, of different types of metals, and uh, I had been reading about titanium and like Mm. titanium jewelry, Mm. and I've been reading about tungsten jewelry. Oh. And I meant to I meant to talk about tungsten jewelry, but I said titanium instead. Mm. If you have a titanium ring and you hit it with a hammer, you are definitely not gonna crack it. Obviously, it's made of titanium. Titanium <laughs> literally synonymous with a very, very strong metal. However, tungsten rings, I'm like, oh, this tungsten ring is so cool. They accidentally wrap it on a table or something and it just cracks. Titanium is not very malleable, but it's also not very brittle either. But tungsten is very brittle and will will crack um, under uh, compressive stress. So I meant to say tungsten. I remember there was an influx of of men's tungsten jewelry. Yes, yes. Yes. I was just going to say that. Because part of the marketing is this is the strongest metal. It is very strong. It is very strong, but it's very brittle. Part of the the allure that it was weighty. Oh, so it says here, tungsten is Swedish for heavy stone. Uh Chris, I have to thank you. Oh, you're welcome. On our way back from SporkleCon, me and Chris... Uh, got to wait for our flight in a fancy airport lounge. Uh, he did. I was in the other terminal. <laughs> I'm pulling up to the bar and I'm like, okay, I'd like a, a domestic beer, please. And like, oh, here you go, 1165. Then I'm getting yep. texts from Karen and Chris. They're like, here's my falafel and fresh vegetables. And I got a little, oh, I haven't even hit the hot bar yet. You know, and it's like, oh, come on. What's going on? Yeah. I'm drinking free beer I've never even heard of. Of. yeah I'm like this like german yeah, unlimited yeah so yeah hope you guys had a good time there we really did Thank we you. did we really did thanks to our credit card companies that gave us that <laughs> perk um i mean we were just killing time i was doing new york times crossword and chris was playing a weird game on his phone oh. and i've never seen it before <laughs> yeah. and i was like what is that it is also a new york times game chris what is it Oh, it's it's connections. New York Times connections. Yes. Super good job, Brain. The premise is you have 16 words 
And there are four categories. They don't tell you what the categories are. You just have these 16 words and you're trying to piece together and logic out what the four categories could be. Yeah. It's really fun. I really urge everybody to try it. I think I enjoy it more than Wordle. After playing Wordle a lot, it's like, it's just the same. It's the same game over and over and over again. But with connections, because it, it has to be kind of like, carefully constructed and they can yeah. do clever things with yeah. it it's always oh, it's, it's so always clever. a different kind of challenge it's so one I've of been, those I've games where you're smiling as you go through it and like even at the end you're like ah i see what you did and you're smiling you know what i mean like it kind of has that payoff throughout the <laughs> or, game or you're like. really mad that too that too all right well without further ado let's jump into our first general trivia segment pop quiz hot shot Here I have uh, a box of random Trivial Pursuit game cards. You guys have your barnyard buzzers. Your kids are going to inherit this bin of cards someday, Karen. (laughs) They're going to be like, yeah, I don't know what my mom used these for, but they must have been really important to her for some reason. (laughs) They are. (laughs) They are important. All right. Buzz in with the right answer. Here we go. Jumping in. Trivial Pursuit. This is uh, copyright 2016. Blue Etra Geography. With over 35 million residents, what is the most populous city in the world? Over 35 million residents, most populous. Did that change, Chris? Uh, I mean, I was going to say Tokyo. It is Tokyo. It is. Okay. All right. Yeah. The last time I heard this this stat, it's like one quarter of the population of Japan lives within commuting distance. (laughs) It's incredible. That's incredible. Correct as of the time of the card is all you're being held to. So it uh, is still mm -hmm. correct. I'm I'm just double checking now. Uh, It is still number one. What's number two? Number two is Delhi. Mm, Okay. Uh, So one, two, three, Tokyo, Delhi, Shanghai. What's uh, the highest uh, North American city on the list? Oh, interesting. Uh, Mexico City. Oh, okay. Oh, you mean U.S.? I mean, I am, I'm curious about U.S. too. New York City. All right. Big Apple. Next question, Pink Wedge for pop culture. What is the boy? What is the full name of Australian boy band 5SOS? Oh. All right, ready? Here, here we go. Us. Okay. Five Sons of Sydney. Oh, that's a really good guess. It is Five Seconds of Summer. Oh. Five seconds of summer. Next question. Yellow Wedge, which sought-after snack took eight months to return to shelves after its parent company, Hostess, declared bankruptcy? Oh. Colin. That's the uh, the Twinkie, right? Yes, Twinkies made a comeback in 2013. Purple Wedge, next question. Which musical shares a title with a Def Leppard song, but the song does not appear in its production? Oh my gosh. Okay. Musical just, just shares a title song? with a Def Leppard song. Oh man. Ready? Uh... Yeah. Sure. Rock of Ages. Oh. Rock of Ages, the Rock show ages. named yeah. after the oh. song that's yes. not even in the show. Even <laughs> yeah. though the whole premise of the show is that is, it's a jukebox musical. Yes, 80s rock songs. Yep. All right, Green Wedge, what is the name of the astronomical tool created over a thousand years ago and used to compute time and the position of the stars? 
<laughs> that is a sextant. No, let me Dang read it. again. What is the name what of the, the name? astronomical tool created over a thousand years ago and used to compute time and the position of stars? Oh. Eh? If you are a Game of Thrones fan. Oh, is that an astrolabe? Yes, it is oh, an, an astrolabe. Oh. The spinny thing in the credits. Yeah, you know, yeah, the, the little... cool kind of multi-piece. Oh. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, it's actually an astrolabe. Interesting. All right, mm. uh, last question on this card. Orange Wedge, which quarterback set the all-time mark for most passing touchdowns in an NFL career in 2014? 2014. Most touchdowns. The most famous quarterback in 2014. Yeah, man. Well, or somebody at the end of a very long career. <laughs> Tom Brady. Incorrect. The only one I know. I No, that's not true. I know more. You want me to guess some more? Yeah. <laughs> Peyton Manning. Correct. It is Peyton Good. Manning. Yeah. Uh, nobody asked me any other quarterbacks. <laughs> That's it. Two, two solid answers, including the right answer there. Yes. Yeah, excellent. <laughs> All right. Today's episode, Colin, our trusty topic picker, what'd you choose for us? <laughs> we got beef, which is all about arguments and disputes and however however you define tension <laughs> we got beef with differences of opinion i thought that would just be a great topic or meat floor yeah or hey or, or or just regular beef you know like yeah. we, we we can we can traverse all avenues here on the show and so this week we got beef So I was just reading about, right in our backyard, there is a somewhat famous example of something that I love, which is a spite house. Oh, uh, yeah. There's something, there's something when, when people and neighbors get so petty, it, it almost becomes joyful and entertaining in a way. Yeah, just, yeah. How far are you willing to take your beef with your neighbor? So yeah, a spite house, the idea being you are using your house as a thumb in someone's eye, as someone who did you wrong, you've got a gripe with, you're you're going to use your your property. You know, a classic example is the person who puts up a 30 foot high, 40 foot high wall or an enclosure on the, on their property just to block out someone's sunlight or just, just to make it <laughs> just, just to take away their view That's so mean. or just, it's just, it's so, and there are examples of this around, around the country, around the world. There is a spite house very close to us. It was someone who had a piece of property that was radically uh, diminished by uh, the city of Alameda. They were expanding and building streets out there. Oh. The, the, a person named Charles Froling, he ended up with a strip of land. And he felt, apparently, the story goes, that his <laughs> his neighbor was really not very helpful in kind of resisting the city's fight because the neighbor was kind of like, yeah, do what you want. It doesn't affect me. So he he had his house built on this strip of land. It's It's 54 feet long. It's 20 feet high, so two stories, and it's 10 feet wide. It's, it is 10 <laughs> feet wide at the base, and it is built right up, just right up to the property line. I mean, and it takes away the, the neighbor's sunlight. In fact, he even had uh, a stained glass window uh, facing out over the front door. It's, it says, oh no, in case it wasn't clear, 
spite house. (laughs) 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 And now you can't you can't build something like this anymore. Uh, oh, it really? Was, Why not? Just zoning zoning restrictions and building codes. Like you just you can't. You're no longer allowed to do something like this. Like even as a you know a stunt, or even if you feel you've got a legitimate gripe, you have to have increased distances between your neighbors, and there's minimum sizes and things like that. So, but a lot of these spite houses that exist were grandfathered in because they were you know legal when they were built. It looks so funny. Yeah, it does. It just, it looks like someone cut a house into like thirds or a half. Yeah. And just dropped half of it. It's like, oh, it's like, it's like when you're playing SimCity, you know, and you've just got like this just ridiculously shaped building just because it fits the parcel of land or something. Yeah. But that is not the Spite House that I, I wanted to share with you guys today. This, this Spite House, this saga started in 2012. There was a, uh, a woman in England uh, with the absolutely fantastic name of Zippera Leal Mainwaring. Um, just fantastic, <laughs> fantastic name. So she was 71 at the time of these events. She was a well-to-do uh, developer. She bought a townhouse in Kensington, a rather upscale area of London, as you may know. Several million on this house she bought. And she wanted to turn this house from a three-story building into a two-story house and a two-level basement, okay? Uh, Her neighbors were not happy with this plan, I think partially because of the noise and the dust and all that, and also partially it sounds like in this neighborhood that she was in, they were very protective of the character of the neighborhood. So I'm just laying the groundwork here. So so she had to file her plans, like, I want to do this, get approval. Uh, Her neighbors were not helpful. They, They were very vocal in their... But they can't really stop her from applying. They can certainly show up at local council meetings and say, we don't oh. want this to happen. We, you know, if it goes up for public comment, they can comment in the negative. As it turns out, the local council denied her application for the plans. All right. Now, Ms. Lil Mainwaring insisted that what happened next was not done as a troll job. By 2015, she ended up painting the house in big, bold, vertical red and white candy stripes like the entire front of the house like from from the sidewalk all the way up to the roof probably eight and ten inch wide red stripes it 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 made everyone so mad people were so angry at this that this troll job she was cited by the uh the borough uh, under the Town and Country Planning Act. Again, she was in trouble again. They basically, they gave her four weeks, said you have to paint your house back to white. Like, this is not acceptable. You're uh-huh. violating, again, the spirit of the neighborhood. All right, now I, I, I got I to pause here for a second because I almost forgot my favorite part of this troll job is she she painted it red, white, alternating candy stripes, but she left the last stripe unfinished. If you look up a photo of this house, you can see it's got, you know, a dozen or so red stripes across and the last one goes up halfway and stops. And like, if I woke up as an angry neighbor, it's bad enough I have to look at these red stripes every day, but just, it would make me twitch that extra little bit that she didn't finish <laughs> the last that. line. I know I'd be like, oh, it's just, you're just <laughs> twisting the, the night there. Like, at least... Finish the stripe. Um, 
she dug in her heels um, and she like she said to the council, you know, like, no, you can't make me do this. This is my house. I don't really care what you all say. Um, she appealed the decision to a higher court. She won <gasps> her decision. So this was like 2017. She had spent years now sort of bickering with the local council and, and her neighbors over this red and white striped house. She finally won the ability to do what she wanted with the structure. After all this, I think she had finally had enough of it. And she did, in fact, end up repainting the house to a much more modest color, partly out of feeling she had maybe proved her point, but partly out of like, it was just a headache of people coming by and looking at it and giving her grief. The the insistence on her part that it was just done out of the spirit of like levity to make the neighborhood a happier place um, and not trolling is what... Mm just makes it the perfect troll job in my, in my eyes a, a, a new a new way of thinking about a spite house if i were to do a spite house or even just my regular house if i were if i were bold enough i would do like paint the whole house in lime green so it can be used as a green screen that'd be so funny <laughs> All right, let's get our brain juices flowing. I have a quick lightning round quiz. All right, rub it, rubbing the brain. (laughs) We've talked about comic book villains before. I have an obsession with Batman villains. I think the rogues gallery is so cool. I love their insane backstory or origin (laughs) story. Colin, you shared about a paste pot (laughs) P. Crazy Quill is one of my favorites. Comic book culture and comic book stuff has become such a force in pop culture now. Oh, yeah. More so than 10 years ago. Yeah. Definitely part of the zeitgeist now. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So here, I have a quick lightning round quiz. I'm going to focus on the villains. The villains got beef with our beloved superheroes. I'm going to give you their real government name. And you tell me what their moniker is. Okay. Okay. These are all villains that had beef with a superhero at some point. <laughs> all, right. all right. Buzzers at the ready. Lightning round. Here we go. Eddie Brock. Oh. Colin. That's uh, that's that's uh, uh, Venom. Correct. Oroku Saki. Chris. Shredder. Shredder. And a fun fact, a wrestler slash actor, Kevin Nash, played Super Shredder, Super Shredder. in, yes, yep. in uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2. Secret of the Ooze. Too. Secret of the Ooze. Yep. That's Diesel. If you remember <laughs> your old WWF. All right. Here we go. Pamela Isley. Chris. Poison Ivy. Oh. Yes. Norman Osborn. Colin. Uh, Norman Osborn was the Green Goblin. Correct. Next one, Eric Lemsher. Oh, hmm. Eric. Oh, Eric Lemsher is uh, Magneto from the X Men. Correct. Oh, his middle name is Magnus. It's really convenient how like naming is destiny in the world of comics. You know what I mean? Yes. Like if you if yes. your middle name is Magnus, you're gonna have like magnet powers. Like that's just <laughs> yeah, kinda, yeah. that's just how it works. Yeah. <laughs> what about this one, Doctor Harlem Francis Quinzel? <laughs> Chris. Harley Quinn. Correct. Wilson Fisk. Oh, Ooh, I've heard that. Colin. That is the Kingpin. Kingpin. Foe of Daredevil and, and Spider-Man to, to a lesser extent. Okay, this one is funny. Alexander Joseph Luther. 
Oh. Chris. Lex Luthor. Yes, it's Lex. <laughs> Lex is short wow. for Alexander. Yeah. Alexander. <laughs> yes, yes. Julian Gregory Day. Julian Day. Julian Day. Oh, is... Colin. Is Julian Day... Is is that, is that Ozymandias? That is Calendar oh. Man from oh, Batman. Calendar Man. Day. Calendar okay. Day. Day, of course. Uh, uh, Julian Gregory Day. Very good. Yes. Uh, next one. Emil Blonsky. Emil Blonsky. Oh. Played by a, a, one of my favorite actors, Tim Roth. Uh, it is, if you watch She-Hulk, it is Abomination. Oh, Abomination. Okay, next one. Jonathan Crane. Chris. Scarecrow. Correct. Uh, Cletus Cassidy. Mm. It is Carnage. Carnage. Oh. oh. Okay. Uh-huh. Darren Cross. Darren Cross. Oh, Darren Cross. Man, why do these all sound so familiar? If I gave you the superhero <laughs> yeah. name, yeah, it's yeah, impossible right. to think yeah. of their real name. Ah, <laughs> uh, Darren Cross. Ross. Villain in the Ant-Man universe. Like Yellow Jacket? Was that what Yes, that Yellow okay. Jacket. Yellow Ooh, Jacket. Okay. All right, last all right. one. Kane Marco. Ah. Uh, what villains have not come up yet, I guess. <laughs> Kane Marco is better known as Juggernaut. Juggernaut. Oh. I just never oh, thought he man. was like a person. There, There is humanity. Yeah. There's a man wearing a really weird piece of armor. Yeah. Julius Day. <laughs> Calendar man. <laughs> Incredible. Julian Gregory Day. Yes, as in the Gregorian calendar. Yep. The... You feel like once you see it in retrospect, like, ah, yes. It's, oh, it's a real, yeah. <laughs> it's, a real fa- it's a real face palm. Yeah, okay. It's a chef's kiss face palm name. <laughs> chef kiss face palm. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, like when you hiccup and sneeze at the same time. You have to, you have to find a way to, yeah. It's just really uncomfortable. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Let's take a quick break and we'll be right back. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. You're listening to Good Job Brain. Smooth puzzles, smart trivia, Good Job Brain. And we're back. This week, we got beef. Who's who's got beef next? I got I I have some beef for you guys because I did not hear. I'm very literal. So when, you know, Colin was like, this is all about beef i'm like great as in 
meat that comes from cows. Fantastic. I love doing food segments and it just instantly I could think of nothing other than I wanted to do something about regional beef sandwiches yes. of the United States of America because uh Americans no matter where America's a big country America is very diverse country. America is like 50 different countries, culinarily speaking, but we all love our beef sandwiches. Uh, We've just arranged it into many similar, but ultimately very different types of sandwiches. Now, of course, the most important thing when you're doing a quiz like this is to come up with a really good title. Agreed. At first I was like, I'll call it regional beef, you know, which is pretty good. (laughs) I started thinking about I started thinking about like oh let's I could call it like wh- like where where's the beef like where is or like where's the beef from then then I kind of my brain kind of went to um like oh beefing from coast to coast or something like that and then <laughs> as, and then and then as uh, as uh, uh, lightning struck and I was inspired that is why the title of this quiz is beef in USA. in USA. <laughs> this is the joy of working with Chris Kohler is you get bespoke <laughs> cover theme songs. <laughs> All right, got my new ringtone now. There you go. Okay, so anyway, let's go let's get into it. Beef in USA, the hottest new game show. Um 10 questions all about regional beef sandwiches. Right. <laughs> um you guys know I have the Wikipedia sandwich list book, and you've got, and you've had yeah. your like your state marathons, Karen. So I feel like oh, you, yeah. you you've been training for this moment your whole life. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. All right. So the other the fun thing is that of course this being America and these being like these hyper regional sandwiches. So layers on layers here. There's sometimes beef about the beef. You know what uh, I mean? So there's sometimes oh, fights wow. over you know the the beef sandwiches. So I'll, I'll let you know if there's any beef beef. Yeah. happening here as yeah. we go through beefception grab those buzzers number one despite its name what famous beef sandwich originated in los angeles in the early 1900s karen the french dip the french mm. dip yes Thin oh, roast Colin, i beef. thought you were gonna snag that I, from I, I was just i was half a LA. second too late i was half a second behind you yep thin roast beef uh generally served on a french baguette with with jus with the thin uh gravy yeah the, the beef around this sandwich um and colin maybe you know uh what the beef is here there's two restaurants in la that oh. both claim to have invented the french dip sandwich you have uh coles and philippe's <laughs> oh i love a good french dip sandwich french dip yes uh next question originating in iowa and also known as a tavern sandwich what sandwich made with ground beef shot to national fame when it was featured extensively on the sitcom Roseanne? Karen was in a little bit early. Sloppy Joe's. Yeah. Incorrect. Oh. It is not the Sloppy Joe. Okay. Colin, you want to take a take No, a stab I, I was going to say Sloppy Joe too. Made it's not the Sloppy beef. Joe. Okay. It is, uh, no, it is the loose meat sandwich. The loose meat sandwich. Yes. How can Very I well known in the Midwest. Yeah, yeah. It is ground beef with sauteed onions, like all mixed together on a bun. It's like a Sloppy Joe, but it no does sauce. not have any slop. Got there's it. no slop. Got it's it. uh, seasoned and it's flavored, but there's no slop. Yep. Okay. It's less right. wet. 
Yes, they opened up in uh, Roseanne. They opened up a loose meat, you know. Oh. Diner, yeah, yeah, yeah. Next question. Uh, Buffalo, Buffalo, New York, well known for its chicken wings, but also for a particular beef sandwich. In fact, the national chain Buffalo Wild Wings was originally called BW3 or Buffalo Wild Wings and blank. Oh, Whoa. Buffalo Wild Wings. Buffalo Wild Wings and, and blank. Or, or BW3. Something W. As a, as a solving Whoa. aid. Do as you know this? W- okay. oh. Wellington. East Coast. No. Oh, oh well. Interesting guess. Wellington. This is, a, this is a Buffalo area thing. They've got it up in Rochester as well. Ah. Uh, the sandwich is called Beef on Weck. Beef on Weck, W-E-C-K. So so Buffalo Wild Wings was originally called Buffalo Wild Wings and Weck. Wow. What is Weck? Weck refers to a Kumal Weck roll. And Kumal Weck is a roll that is topped with uh, salt and caraway seeds. The Kumal is uh, caraway seeds. If you're in Buffalo or Rochester, this is served everywhere. Very, very famous. Yeah. How about that? I love it. Staying in uh, the great state of New York, if you were to make the New York City bodega sandwich known as a chopped cheese, mm. you would begin by putting what on the grill? I thought I thought chopped the chopped cheese, cheese was like just meat and cheese, basically. I thought that was pretty much all there was to so, it. But what so. do you put first on the grill? That's the. Th- I see what yeah. you're saying. What What is the major like ingredient that, that that this starts with? I'll say cheese. Uh, the answer is a preformed burger patty so the chopped cheese is made not with like putting ground beef onto the grill it's like a preformed like a frozen burger patty which would ordinarily be made to make burgers and putting that on the grill and then letting that you know develop a crust and then chopping it got it okay chopped cheese you know very well known in the new york city bodega scene um Almost entirely unknown <laughs> outside of that. Incredibly good, though, and made correctly. If you, uh, let's travel a little further south. If you were to walk into a steak sandwich establishment in Philadelphia and ask for Wizwit, huh. what two toppings will your, will your sandwich have on it? Or it, will, it would have che- cheese whiz, uh-huh. like spread, and uh-huh. it would have uh, peppers. Incorrect. Onions. Mm. Onions is yeah. correct. Whiz wit is short for wit whiz with onions. With peppers it. or mushrooms or stuff like that would be you'd have to call that out. That's a higher tier but, of. But they ask you if you want it with or without. They're really they're asking about the onions. Now, of course, there are lots of beefs over the Philly cheese steak. Yes. Yeah. A whether or not Geno's or Pat's is the best steak in Philly. Uh, but also the ongoing debate over whether the canonical cheese on a cheesesteak should be cheese whiz, as in the mm. processed cheese sauce, versus uh, provolone. Because there's oh. a lot of people who will tell you a real Philly cheesesteak would use sharp provolone cheese. But then, of course, a lot of people will tell you a real Philly cheesesteak uses cheese whiz, and uh, we're not going to be able to resolve that here. <laughs> we are not taking a side. Next question. The character Tracy Turnblad sings good morning to this city which boasts its own regional beef sandwich known as the pit beef karen good morning baltimore 
Good morning, Baltimore. Opening number in the musical Hairspray. Yes, <laughs> very nice. Baltimore's uh, sandwich, the pit beef, contains charcoal fired roast beef with onions Ooh. and horseradish sauce. Oh, yeah. Uh, next question. The website emeralds.com features a roast beef variation of this sandwich. Roast beef emerald. Oh, Colin. Is it a muffaletta? It is not a muffaletta. Oh, uh, I'm going to guess po' boy. Correct. It is uh, a po' boy. Okay. Yeah, it could have gone either way on that one. Emeralds.com being the website of Emerald Lagasse, famous for his Creole cuisine of New Orleans. Uh, yes. The beef, by the way, uh, the, the fight over the po' boy uh, of late is uh, how you spell it. Oh. Um, oh, AP style. The Associated Press says P.O. apostrophe boy. Mm-hmm. Yes, um, but many New Orleanians spell it without an apostrophe at all, just connecting it together. Oh, just P.O. or or with a dash, like po boy, oh. uh, with no uh, punctuation at all, or po dash boy. There was a big fight over that. Again, did not really get resolved. <laughs> Pittsburgh's regional beef sandwich, usually made at restaurants like Primanti Brothers, is full of beef pastrami. Tomatoes, cheese, coleslaw, and what? Oh. Aaron. Oh. Like fried onions. It is not fried oh, onions. Oh, man. Oh, French fries, French fries. Oh. That's, the, that's, that's, what you were, that's what you were getting at. Uh, yes. The yeah. classic Pittsburgh sandwich has pastrami. And they're tall. I just remember them being really tall. Well, when you're stuffing a big fistful of French fries in the sandwich, <laughs> then it, it, it tends to get pretty big. The coleslaw <laughs> makes it kind of slippery too. It's a uh, it's a real it's a real challenge. A, a two hander, as they say, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, speaking of which, um, next question: an open faced sandwich that is built of Texas toast, a beef patty, French fries, and cheese sauce mm. called the horseshoe <laughs> was created in what city? The city is the last one Abraham Lincoln lived in before he moved to the White House. Okay. So. Karen is buzzed in. It's going to be Illinois. So it's going to be either Chicago or where he lived, like Springfield. Springfield. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Springfield, Illinois is it. Yes. Springfield, Illinois. Nice. Home of the regional beef sandwich known as the horseshoe. Again, that is Texas toast on the bottom, a beef patty, a big pile of French fries, and then cheese sauce. It's an open-faced sandwich. It is technically still a sandwich. I would not call the (laughs) Rochester garbage plate a sandwich because there is no – you can't make a sandwich out of it. But the horseshoe. It just sounds like a bunch of burger stuff but all in one plate. It's more efficient, yeah, though, Karen. doesn't have that top bun to slow you down. You just get right, <laughs> That's true. right, right down to business <laughs> yeah, with the horseshoe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, just the way Honest Abe would like it. And final question. Of course, uh, two different bars in Minneapolis both lay claim to the invention of this rhyming sandwich that features cheese stuffed inside a burger patty. Rhyming sandwich. Marriage. He buzzed in with authority. I believe this is called a Juicy Lucy. Oh my you goodness. You are correct. It is yes! the Juicy Lucy. Karen, you are just, you're playing this game on another level. I, I, I cannot hang with your sandwich knowledge. <laughs> this is amazing. The Juicy the, Lucy. The Juicy Lucy and the beef over this. You'll love this, Colin. <laughs> the beef over the Juicy Lucy. Of course, there's two bars, which, which are both, you know, say that they invented it with no help from anybody else. <laughs> 
The two bars are Matt's Bar and the 5-8 Club. At Matt's Bar, the sandwich is spelled J-U-C-Y-L-U-C-Y. So <laughs> uh-huh. Juicy is misspelled. Okay. Whereas at the 5-8 Club, Juicy is spelled with an I. And at the 5-8 Club, they have the motto, if it's spelled right, it's done right. <laughs> Whereas, apparently at Matt's Bar, they have the motto, if it's spelled correctly, you are eating a shameless ripoff. (laughs) So, so I don't know. Again, I'm not getting involved. Um, It's great for them. Congratulations. Uh, I'm surprised there's not a third cheese-filled burger outfit and they call it... Juicy spelled J-U-I-C-Y and then yeah. Lucy L-U-I-C-Y. They, there should be. Maybe yeah. we should start that. There's room to Ju- horn in on Juicy the market. Juicy and Lucy. Yeah. <laughs> We're just forming the Juicy Lucy district at that point. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. That's I, I love that you found the beef over the beef. Like that's yeah. it's fantastic. Yeah. Well, anyway, uh, thank you all for playing Beef in USA. <laughs> USA, then everybody'd be beefing like Philadelphia. You'd see him meeting a loose meat, hurls before boy too. Juicy Lucy and friendship, <laughs> beefing USA. Ah. Uh. I, I know I know that you that you probably spent as much time on that as everything else combined, and I just want to say, well worth it. Absolutely, thank you. Would not do well, it. Well, I did. <laughs> I did the 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 little title the 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 stinger thing like this morning um, when we we're getting the kids ready for school, and I absolutely didn't have the time to do it, but I, I did it anyway because I couldn't get it out of my head. And then by the time that I was done with work and and came home, I the the fill I mean the Philadelphia thing. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I, I couldn't. I'm like I have to do this, so I, I yeah. <laughs> Now everybody has to make theme songs for your quizzes. (laughs) Y'all, you know, I am very tuned in on lobster news. Oh, yeah. I've talked about lobsters extensively on the show. I want to ask you two, just when you picture a lobster in your head, like in the ocean, in the water, how how would you describe lobsters moving? Oh, no. Kind of just crawling along. Sort of just at a state at a, at a stately pace, yeah. Like not like not doing a lot of moving, just like just just sort of chilling on the bottom and like yeah, like the mob boss in Goodfellas, like you know, <laughs> only as, only as fast as they have to. This will come back. This will come back. In 1960s, many African nations that were under the French colonial rule were becoming independent, right? Mm. Which also means mm-hmm. that. There is less ocean area in Africa for France's fishing industry. Mm, a lot of the right. French seafood supply became limited, especially lobsters. Uh, and they're like, we got to go find more lobsters. So the French sent large fishing vessels to explore and look for potentially more lobsters. And boy, did they find them. They found some hotbeds of lobsters. Uh, about a uh, hundred miles off the coast of Brazil. That's a long way from France. <laughs> yes, it is a long <laughs> way from France. And Brazil got pissed. Hey, these are our lobsters. What are you hmm. doing in? What are you doing near <laughs> us? But are they actually Brazil's <laughs> lobsters? Hmm. So 
Have you heard of the continental shelf? Do we know what that is? Yeah. Continental shelf. It's the the stretch of the seabed adjacent to the shores of of a country. So let's say you're going to a beach, right? You go to the beach, you you go into the water, and then you kind of swim out. And then you'd notice that all of a sudden the seafloor drops significantly, right? So the continental shelf is pretty much uh, everything up to that point before you get the big hole drop. And so, yeah, the stretch of seabed that is adjacent to the shores of a particular country. So the Geneva Convention granted nations the right to all resources, Mm. including plants and animals, if they are in constant physical contact with the continental shelf of the country, which means everything within the seabed area belongs to the country. Maybe there is a, you know, seaweed that's growing off off a beach in Japan. That seaweed is owned by Japan. So Brazil says lobsters crawl. They're like oysters. They cling to the bottom of the floor and that's where they move. Therefore, in constant contact with the continental shelf. So these lobsters are Brazilian property, Mm, mm. right? French were like, no. Lobsters are like fish. They swim. They swim about in the open sea. Frolicking hither and yon. Yeah, they cannot be considered as part of the continental shelf. And that was the beef. This weird (laughs) argument of how do we classify the movement of lobsters? This went on for like two years. Brazil sent out a fleet of six destroyers and patrol boats to kind of like shoo away, to drive away all the foreign, the French boats. And they actually Uh captured three French ships. So then the French send a destroyer on their own. Nothing's really happening, though. They're still fixated on how do we define how (laughs) lobsters move. Of whether they touch the ground when they move or not. This Oh, my God. Yeah. and, And Brazil brought in an oceanography expert into its diplomatic committee. So it's this oceanography expert. He said something really funny. The Admiral Paulo Mora da Silva. To say that the lobster is like a fish whenever it comes off from the seafloor to swim is like saying a kangaroo becomes a bird whenever it hops into the air. (laughs) The, The conflict started in 1961. Uh, Finally, there was an agreement in 1964. And uh, (laughs) how was the dispute resolved? No shots fired, no war, kind of anticlimactic. Basically, Brazil extended its its territorial waters. And like, I still feel like I need to go and like do my own observation here now. Like, like, how do lobsters move? Yeah. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. We got one last segment. Colin, where's the beef? The beef, we're going international. Chris has beef in USA. We're gonna we're gonna take the beef around the world. Yeah. I love Karen. I I this is a great segue here. Uh, and we don't coordinate these, I swear. But I I love the the the, the international beef you've described here. Um I in particular am very fascinated with 
border disputes. Oh, yeah. They and get petty, too. So petty over sometimes the least desirable pieces of land. It just becomes such a matter of principle and national pride. And sometimes it leads to some very funky outcomes. There are a lot of border disputes that end or at least have shooting wars involved. There's a lot where there's a lot of bloodshed. I wanted to find a few examples of things that have turned out in unusual ways, let me put it. So I got a few examples here of border disputes and how they have sort of settled or maybe not quite settled. So we're going to go way north to start here. We're going to go to a very tiny little chunk of land called Hans Island. Tiny, uninhabited, cold chunk of rock. It is in the middle of the Nares Strait, separating Canada and Greenland. Oh, okay. okay. So way, way, way up there by Nunavut. And for many years, there there was an active, somewhat good-natured dispute over who owns this little chunk of land. No one lives there. Like maybe some birds land there occasionally. No one lives there. Traditional people in the area, the Inuit, were well aware of it, but there were no resources on Mm. there. It was uninhabited. And so the Canadians were like, hey, yeah, that's obviously our island. Greenland essentially controlled uh, as an extension of the Danish government. It's like, yeah, that's that's our island, actually. It's funny that you think that. In 1984, things took a little bit of a turn here, and it was the start of of what they call the, the Whiskey War. Okay, Some soldiers from Canada uh, had traveled to the island. They planted a Canadian flag, and they left a bottle of Canadian whiskey behind. Okay. And made it known that they had done this. So later that year, the Danish Minister of Greenland Affairs said, I cannot let this stand. So the the minister traveled out to Hans Island, left a Danish flag, (laughs) left a bottle of Danish schnapps. And and like a note that basically said, hey, you know, welcome to Danish territory. You know, thanks for thanks for visiting Hans Island. Over over the following years, it kind of continued somewhat in this vein. Like it was sort of open, public, kind of jocular. And, you know, like you would see representatives from the countries like, you know, talking about it, like answering questions at a press conference. They're always just kind of smiling and laughing when they talk about it. Like, oh, yeah, you know, at some point, I'm sure we'll settle this. It's our island, though, for real. Like, just to be clear, it's our <laughs> island. You know, like they always make sure to end with like, just just to be clear, it's our island. So finally, in 2022, all right, just happened uh, in large part as a as a show of how nations can solve problems amicably, you know, sort of against the backdrop of Russian invasion and things going on. You know, you know, we if we can put our differences aside over this little piece of land, then other countries can do the same. There are no stakes. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It had also just been going on for a very long time and they're extremely low stakes. So yeah, representatives from the Danish government, the Canadian government, they got together, they basically split the island in half. (laughs) Oh my God. It's not not exactly 50-50. Denmark uh, slash Greenland got the bigger chunk. So they they fared out better. They got about 60% versus 40% to Canada. But most importantly, everybody is happy. No shots were fired. Nobody was hurt or killed or lost or anything like that. I have a question. Oh yeah. Go ahead. This rock, they split it in half. So like here, here's the line in the middle. This is Canada. This is Greenland slash Denmark. 
does that mean they border each other now? Yes. So Karen, there've been no! some, so this, so this is what I love about the story. So it created some really interesting new trivia here. So for one, this Island is now the third shortest land border between any two countries. And it established a second land border for Canada, which previously only had a land only border had the US. With, with the U.S., that's right. And oh. it established a second land border for the Danish realm as well, which oh, previously Germany. only had a border with Germany. That's right. So now each each country, each realm now has another additional land border. It is also apparently the northernmost international land border in the world. Oh, <laughs> I want to go. Yeah. It's made it cooler now. The, yeah. They made it cooler. It is cooler. If someone could open up a gift shop there uh, and sustain it. Uh, yeah. Good luck. Good luck to them up on, yeah, on Hans Island. So let's travel a little bit. We're going to go south. A good bit south, in fact, to Pheasant Island. Like the bird, Pheasant. Pheasant okay. Island. Now, Hans Island is tiny. Pheasant Island is minuscule. Pheasant Island okay. is 660 feet long. It is 130 feet wide. And it sits right in the middle of the Bidasoa River, which forms the border between France and Spain. It is a, a an eroding, uninhabited just little chunk of of dirt and trees and land very small no one lives there it it is as i say it's right in the middle of the river and often when there's land in a river it's pretty clear which side of the river it's on generally speaking if it's past the midline it goes to one country if it's past the other midline but this one's right in the middle this is my favorite solution to a potential border dispute rather than fighting about pheasant island with guns or soldiers or whiskey or schnapps france and Spain take turns running oh. Pheasant Island every six months. Control of Pheasant Island alternates between Whoa. the government of Spain and the government of France. And they just do it in a very orderly way. There is an official um, schedule and Whoa. every six months changes over. It sounds like in practice, though, on a day by day basis, Pheasant Island is effectively run by the mayor's of the oh, two okay. towns closest to it on on either side of the border. Do they I wonder if they have a sign or a light that tells you a Oh, currently, currently under control of Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, how <laughs> cool would that be? That would be pretty cool actually. Yeah, I looked at some pictures of it. I can't say it's it's a very impressive looking <laughs> parcel of land. Um all right. I want to close here with uh, this. This to me really felt like a good job brain story. This this is a border dispute that has created a very interesting turn of events in the world. I'm going to tell you guys about a region of land known as Bir Tawil. And this is a pocket of land, very small. And it sits right on the border between Egypt to the north and Sudan to the south. Okay. Okay. I'm going to give you a real dime store thumbnail history of the region. In 1899, the local government of Egypt and the United Kingdom, which up to that point had, you know, been a major power in the region, colonial power, were essentially deciding on the line of demarcation between what would be Egypt or what would okay. remain Egypt okay. and what would be Sudan. 
And okay. they agreed, as countries often do, they chose a line of latitude. And they said, all right, the 22nd oh. parallel, the 22nd parallel, right, it's already pre-decided. We don't need to survey it. This will be the, the border. Like anything above the 22nd parallel is Egypt. Anything below the 22nd parallel is the, the, the region of Sudan at the time. Great. Seems at least very unambiguous and easy just to decide. Nice straight line, runs all the way out to the Red Sea. Boom. Yep, yep. Right? Okay. Rather than leave well enough alone, three years later, the, the UK government drew up a separate, quote, administrative boundary map. The goal of this map was to sort of recognize the facts on the ground of how the land was actually being used by the peoples who lived in those regions. I Just to throw a wrench in the works here, it did not follow the same line as the 22nd parallel line, all right? So it was not a nice straight line. The new line in this administrative boundary went most of the way straight, and then it kind of dipped south a little bit below the 22nd, just for a little chunk, came back up. That little oh. chunk is Bir Tawil, and we'll talk about this in a second. Then it went up a good bit to the north of the, of the 22nd parallel and enclosed another chunk of land called the Halaib Triangle. Substantially bigger and substantially more desirable and bordering the Red Sea. This really complicated things because now... Both countries wanted access to the Halaib Triangle. They both wanted this nice big chunk of land, which was already sort of nominally in Egypt, in Egypt's mind. Um, so they basically didn't agree and they kept fighting about it, kept fighting about it. After the independence of Sudan in the 1950s, continued fighting about it. To this day, it is disputed. And here's where it gets really interesting. So Egypt wants to recognize the 22nd parallel line. And they say, we clearly own the Halaib Triangle, the big area. We do not care anything at all about Bir Tawil. That's, that's your territory, Sudan. Sudan wants to stick to the administrative boundary, the one that goes up and down and gives them the Halaib Triangle. But in order to claim that, they have to renounce control over the region oh. called Bir Tawil because they don't want it and if they say they take it, they are in effect agreeing to the 22nd parallel boundary. Okay. So this dispute has created a situation where there is a tiny little pocket of land below the 22nd parallel. Neither country wants it. They don't want to put people there or develop there or lay any claim to it. So it is one of the very few areas on the entire planet that is not claimed by any country. By any country. It's not claimed by any international state, this little kind of four-sided region, and neither country wants it because to claim it means... You have to give up the bigger space. Give up the bigger side. So, well, then then what about the triangle? I don't want to say it's de facto Egypt territory, but it is above the 22nd. Mm -hmm. I think Egypt currently exerts the most control over it. Let me, let me put it that way. Yeah. if you It is disputed. It's disputed. And if you go look even on you know, Google Maps or Google Earth, you'll see that it's it's drawn in a little bit different line there. You can see the larger Halaib Triangle, and then you can see this tiny little chunk that's the, the Bir Tawil region. Neither country wants the small one. They're like, nope, it's up for grabs. We should go get it. <laughs> we should go I know. plant our flag and a bottle of whiskey and come up with a beef sandwich. Yeah. When I name myself Glorious President for Life. <laughs> And that's our show. 
Thank you all for joining me and thank you listeners for listening in. Hope you learned stuff about Loose Meats, The Lobster War, Pheasant Island, Spite Houses, and comic book villains. You can find us on all major podcast apps and on our website, goodjobbrain.com. This podcast is part of Airwave Media Podcast Network. Visit airwavemedia.com to listen and subscribe to other shows like The Explorers Podcast, Movie Therapy, and Plotting Through the Presidents. And we'll see you next week. Goodbye. Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia-style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world, plus tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that, because you're already listening to a podcast.